we always try to like, when are we inflicting help versus, uh, verse to make us feel good versus actually solving the problem. And I think that is a something nonprofit organizations have to reevaluate all the time because you can definitely get stuck in the mode of doing what we've always done or, um, you know, assuming you're providing the solution to a problem as you perceive it, but you need to be checking in really regularly with your audience. And I think that translates to any kind of product development or market build as um, in the same way people develop their programs um, at a nonprofit. Are you looking for ways to shorten your marketing learning curve and help your organization survive and thrive? Welcome to Relish This, the Purpose Marketing Podcast, a show for purpose-focused leaders who want to use marketing techniques to fuel their organization's growth. If you're a returning listener and you haven't subscribed already, we'd love to have you. Also, please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Now here's your host, author and marketing specialist, Stu Swinefort. Hey everybody, Stu here. Two of the most frequently asked questions we get over here at Relish are around tools and resources. What tools should I use to get this job done? And and do you know anybody who can help me with this particular part of our organization's challenges that we're trying to fix? My guest today is Mitch Stein, and he is the founder and CEO of Pond. And Pond flips the narrative on the whole vendor solutions search mechanism by allowing vendors to kind of bid for access to nonprofits. So it's geared specifically to to nonprofits to help them find resources, service providers, apps, vendors, etc., to help them fuel their growth. Um, it's a really cool model. I think that you'll enjoy our conversation. Mitch is a super great guy. And um, if you're looking for solutions to little challenges that you have at your nonprofit, whether that's an app or software as a service or a vendor, you should check into Pond. Take a peek at this episode. I hope you love it. I had a great, great conversation with Mitch. Here we go. Hello, Mitch. How are you today? Hey, Stu. I'm great. How are you? I'm very well. It is a glorious Tuesday when we're recording, and um, I'm really looking forward to hearing all about Pond and what you are up to. How um, how are things in your world today? Things are good. Yeah, we uh, you know the team's busy. We're working on some new things that we're rolling out and really excited about and just growing, trying to do more, trying to evolve, you know, the, the startup, uh, the startup grind. <laughs> yeah. So tell us more about Pond and how you are leveraging this technology to, uh, to help, um, the nonprofit world. Yeah, of course. So just to rewind a little bit, I, you know, some context on me, um, today I'm the CEO and co-founder of Pond, which is a marketplace for the tools and services that nonprofits utilize. Um, but it all started actually when I was in a very different world as an investment banker for seven years at Goldman Sachs, living in New York City. Um, and I covered the technology space. So working with software and internet businesses around the world, um, and I, outside of work, was spending a lot of time fundraising. I'm a board member at the LGBT Center in New York and have done um, their bike ride from uh, from Boston to New York called the Northeast AIDS Ride nice. several times with my dad. Um, we had an uncle who 
passed away from AIDS. And so it's been a big passion project of ours. And it got me really involved in the organization and, and a lot more engaged with the nonprofit sector generally. Um, and they went through this process of uh, transitioning their fundraising events platform and had a bunch of issues with the prior one. And then the transition was really challenging and finding the tool they needed to use was a total headache. And, you know, the people at the organization, um, you know, they were social workers by trade or, you know, they had, they didn't have the background um, necessarily the, uh, to be doing that search and finding things. And so I just started digging deeper and deeper and it became like kind of something I was obsessed with. And I started talking to other nonprofits and people were like, uh, oh, you know, well, we work at a nonprofit. So of course, like the tools we have are kind of crappy or we're behind <laughs> right. in tech and, and just sort of, you know, this, this kind of malaise and acceptance of, something being suboptimal. And I'm like, well, wait a second, I'm, you know, I'm doing a lot of work to raise money for the organization. And and I want all those dollars to be having the maximum impact. And technology is the most important thing to be maximizing your time and your impact uh, in the, you know, the mission you're serving. Um, so that's just not right. I'm like, we should be leveraging the best tech and the best tools and have make sure it's using used uh, and maximized wherever we can. And so that just became a drumbeat for me. Like there has to be a better way. And I spent a lot of time thinking like, okay, maybe I need to go build a new platform, a new fundraising mm-hmm. tool or, or whatever it is that organizations need. And then as I dug in, I'm like, oh, there's already hundreds of things that do that. There's a lot of people trying to solve that problem. No one's trying to solve the problem that there's no marketplace. There's no central thoroughfare for all of the tools and services that nonprofits are using. Um, and so that's really limiting the, uh, the potential for the market innovation, um, that could happen when a, when a better, more organized liquid, you know, marketplace exists. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I covered a lot of marketplace businesses. So thinking about companies like Zillow or Expedia or Cargurus, and you just think about how they transformed what used to be a really fragmented and messy market with a lot of intermediaries with people who weren't experts making purchases um, of really big ticket items to them. And you think about the massive impact those platforms made and making it like, you know, you'll drop a few thousand dollars on a trip or buy an entire car or a home online Mm -hmm. today. And that's like shocking to think about uh, putting yourselves 20 to 30 years ago. And the reality is when you're running a nonprofit organization, it's a lot like buying a home or car whenever um, 20 years ago, whenever you're looking for a new vendor of software, um, of consulting, of lots of different services, because there's no central place to go. Right. And so that was my uh, inspiration to say, hey, I think there's a big opportunity here to have a huge impact and and create an interesting business focused on the sector. And so I quit my job and jumped into startup world. And uh, that was on March 6th, 2020. Okay. Um, so about five <laughs> days later, the world changed pretty dr- dramatically. Yes, it did. Um, so I ended up coming home to move in with my folks in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where I've been ever since, and have been riding the the roller coaster of, of of startup life and experimenting with ways to crack this this issue of how do we how do we stand up a marketplace serving the nonprofit sector um, and their operational needs, mm-hmm. and um, learned a lot, made a lot of changes, and um, you know we've all in an effort to say how can we better reward and support 
nonprofits for engaging in this marketplace to help themselves and others? Um, and then how can we validate the people and products that are serving the sector and coming up with some really creative ways to do so and build up activity on the platform, which I'm obviously happy to go into more. Yeah, I'd love to know a little bit more about how Pond works to kind of fulfill, fulfill those two needs and bring those audiences together. What um, what are you guys doing to uh, to kind of facilitate those transactions? Yeah, so we um, we spend a lot of time analyzing the reasons that um, the nonprofit audience is really hard to reach if you are a vendor to the space. So the go-to-market uh, to find those customers is really challenging. And what we heard from people was just, you know, I don't have time to talk to you. I don't have time. You know, it was always I don't have time for anything was um, the main reason from people or, you know, I'm not uh, I don't know what I'm looking for. I don't know what we should be using. I don't know what I don't know, Um, you know, why people didn't necessarily engage in in shopping for new software or new technology. Um, And then we heard a lot of, well, we don't have any extra money, so I can't afford to do something new, which like obviously something new could save you money or make things more efficient, earn you more money, et cetera. But there's a big psychological barrier there of that from that scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, But the biggest overarching thing was trust. Like I get bombarded by salespeople all the time, Um, cold calls and spam emails. I don't want to engage with these people. Um, And by the way, if you're trying to sell me something, I probably can't trust you. It's kind of the the general attitude. Mm -hmm. And then on the, the vendor provider side of the marketplace, they're, spending, a, because of those challenges, they're spending a ton of money on marketing um, in so many different channels to try to get in front of the right potential customer. Right. And so somewhere along the line, about a year ago, we were like, well, wait a second. What if instead of trying to go about the same model that worked for Expedia and Cargaroos or everyone else that we first tried of a, you know, build it, have the options and shoppers will come find what they need, that wasn't working. What we had to do was say, hey, what if the vendor could actually shop for potential customers on Pond, but it's on their terms and they get the benefit of their value as a potential customer, as a lead? So Mm -hmm. how that works is a nonprofit joins, they can share a problem they're facing, a need they have in their own words. Vendors are able to browse those, um, like, you know, those requests from our nonprofit audience and be able to send a message to say why they think they should meet with them and what they can solve. And then it's up to the nonprofit to decide who, which one of those requests they want to accept. But when they do meet with folks, they get a hundred dollars in their account for every one of those interactions. So they're now they're saving a ton of time in that discovery and research process. They're Mm -hmm. in control and um, they can do it anonymously if they want to. And they're getting rewarded for taking the time to meet with people, which they've never done before. Um, Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, when they find what they need, say you have five meetings, you've got $500 to use um, on that new purchase. So it's been really exciting to see how that starts to adjust people's behavior and and generate more engagement. And so we're working on more ways that we can leverage that model of saying, hey, you want to market to this audience, we want to share that value of your marketing dollar with them to incentivize mm-hmm. more engagement um, and kind of a more uh, informed customer, which makes the process better for everyone involved. So a nonprofit posts to the site and expresses a, a need that they're trying to solve or a problem that they're trying to solve for, whether that's a tech um, solution or a, you know a service vendor or 
or what have you. And then the vendors essentially bid to gain access to those problems, I guess, um, and and then have the opportunity to um, potentially close uh, you know a deal to uh, to help the nonprofit solve that problem. Is that kind of how the model works? Did I get that right? Yeah, exactly. So if you're familiar with Thumbtack um, as an example in the consumer space where you can post a need and, and describe what you're looking for, um, the same thing on Pond, but you're actually getting funds in your account that mm-hmm. you utilize to reduce the price at the end of the day. Um, That's great. And yeah, and it's, it is it uh, more than the funds. It's funny when, when people have used it and we have about 320 nonprofits that have joined and about 180 different vendors uh, so far in our first nine months. And when people have used it, it's, uh, the money is almost the last thing that they mention. Um, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, this was so helpful. Uh, saved me so much time. I discovered things I didn't know about, made the process so much easier. It was so organized. Oh, and it was nice. I saved some money at the end of the day too. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Oh, and by the way, I did this also. That's awesome. Um, so when the, what's, what's the success rate on a, on a match is, is it, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming you're tracking those stats as well. Yeah. So we, uh, we've had about, I think about 30 purchases happen with, from that audience so far. And that's from about 250 interactions between people. So, um, you know, people that are actively hunting or in the market, um, are generally finding something and saving an average of 50% on the total cost. Um, so the average, uh, for the, you know, for their first year, if it's a subscription product. And so the average, um, meetings had when you've made a purchase is four. Um, so it's usually taking people, you know, four options to evaluate depending what they're in the market for exactly. This is, kind of cross product categories. So there's right. a bit of variation there, but you know, that's sort of, that's really what we've seen so far. Um, and I think there's, we're really focused and excited as it scales to also uh, track success with the things people are finding. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we do kind of follow up surveys one month, three months, six months post purchase to be tracking feedback and not just like a point in time review, but to actually see how engaged people are with it, how they're, um, you know, finding it and the impact it's having in the organization, because that's ultimately where we want to get to is to be able to say what's working and for whom and which use cases. Um, And that just all becomes more possible with more data we can get from this, you know, more centralized marketplace. Yeah, it's amazing. How are you tackling the the problem or the challenge of getting the word out to to the nonprofit community that this exists, and then to um, the service community? It's always a challenge. It's, this is one that that we've run into a bunch of times. I'd just be interested to hear how you handled it, um, where you have you know a cart horse situation where you know you need you need nonprofits to attract vendors, and you need vendors to attract nonprofits. Yeah, it's the uh, perennial chicken and egg problem that everyone's yeah. always dealing with in marketplaces. Uh, and typically in a marketplace, you usually have one side that's easier than the other. Um, mm-hmm. For us, the service provider has been much easier to engage. Um, you know, it makes sense. It's a they're trying to close business. That's a priority to find new customers. Um, and the cost is, you know, we picked one cost to start with for the model. So it works really well for some people. And for some people, it's like, that doesn't work with our model. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, 
but it's helped us identify who the audience is that we can engage with. And so, you know, it's been mostly introductions, word of mouth. Um, and honestly, LinkedIn has been tremendously helpful because most salespeople are actively engaged on LinkedIn themselves. So, you know, them being able to see I'm a real person, the company's a legit company. And, um, you know, we have a lot of a, a fairly decent following there that's helped us grow that side a lot and just build a lot of relationships. And I think our next steps uh, and what we're rolling out this year um, is really about deepening those relationships so that we can say more to kind of the accountability on the vendors in our platform, vetting and validating their effectiveness. Yeah. I was going to ask if that was a a component was, are you, are you uh, vetting, vetting, uh, you know, your vendors for, quality or any of that, any of those things. Yeah, it's, um, it is a a funny thing because it's a bit subjective, right? To say who it's a good quality for. And obviously some people will love a certain product and others hate it. And there's some personal preference and opinion there. So, um, as a starting point, as we've engaged people, we do like a video interview with every provider that joins the platform, um, Mm -hmm. and kind of walk through of their services. So we are engaged there and then following up with people, after the fact, when they've purchased something, making sure everything's going well. Um, and we did have one instance where someone wasn't happy and we were actually able to facilitate a refund from that provider. And so they were thrilled. So we oh, were able cool. to act as a you know accountability partner. Now, I think we want to do more in rolling out with those deeper partnerships to say, you know, can we guarantee that kind of money back within a certain window up front? And can we, um, you know, do some cross comparison um, mm-hmm. from vendors that maybe they're contributing their own data that they let us compare with their peers because they want to see how they stand. So we're right. looking into working on a bunch of those things we can add on. And then obviously, as we have more um, purchases happening through the platform, be able to report back on what we're finding with that larger data set. Um, oh, that's great. So I think it's it'll continue evolving and want, we want to be able to, to do and say more there, but also not overstepping, you know, when we're in the earlier stage to, to talk out of turn before we're well-informed with our own data. Right. <clears throat> and what are you doing to, um, gain access to the nonprofits? What, what's your strategy there? Yeah. So on the member side, um, you know, it's, we have, uh, tried a lot of different things. I think for anyone yeah. that's done growth marketing, uh, you know, that it's, it's just highly experimental how, um, you find what works and what the right formula is. So, I mean, we've initially, it was a lot of, you know, introductions, LinkedIn, um, outreach, and what I would describe like door-to-door kind of style marketing to build that initial audience, right. um, which was effective and, and built good relationships with people, but obviously is not scalable. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've seen real success on link with LinkedIn content, building up our brand. We've um, done some different incentive pushes that we've tested. We've done some promotional campaigns that with like referral sweepstakes, um, gotten some PR, you know, we've, we've done a lot of that. We're rolling out like a more robust email marketing strategy and kind of list building there. We're trying to do a little bit of um, those key, uh, what I would describe as like foundational elements of any good marketing effort. Mm-hmm. Um But, you know, what we're focused on um, is rolling out new opportunities for users to be both earning and spending the funds that they're getting in their account on Pond. 
because we right. know that's going to drive um, the most engagement and then word of mouth. So, you know, in 2022, we've rolled out the, um, you know, an educational webinar series where people, instead of paying to join, they actually get paid to join. So people that are investing in themselves uh, are getting funds in their account just for joining these sessions to be learning about key topics uh, around the nonprofit space and technology um, and different partnerships with, uh, you know, partner organizations that have nonprofit members to mm-hmm. be able to say, hey, when you pay your dues, you'll also get $100 in your pond account. So it's kind of like when you sign up for a premium Amex or something, you get $100 on Uber. Um, so we're trying, we're working on several partnerships like that with, with people to help us tap into those networks, but it's a, it's a tough, it's a, it's a tough audience to get to. So that's why we're, we're, we've been highly experimental. Well, it sounds like you're doing a lot of the right things are, tell me a little bit more about the, um, the way the dollars work. So a nonprofit gets, uh, paid if they have a meeting with a vendor, and then they are able to use those dollars to back against the eventual project. Is that how that's modeled or do I have that wrong? No, that's, that's correct. Yeah. So they can use the dollars on, on anything through pond. Um, so there's kind of that core use case of I've been looking for a specific kind of provider, a certain tool or a certain consultant or service I'm looking for it to fill. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm kind of racking up a balance for each of those meetings that, then at the point of purchase, I can redeem. Um, and then we're you know, adding in other things you can utilize those for. So other types of professional development. So paying for um, different trainings or coursework. Uh, we want to add conference tickets that you could be able to, to purchase there, subsidize mm-hmm. there, um, and working on um, some on-demand expertise. So being able to redeem some of your funds to talk to a legal or accounting expert for 20 minutes or something like that. So these are all in the pipeline, but um, finding more ways for people to redeem those, those rewards and benefit from them. Yeah. I really like this idea that you're creating this, this, not only the marketplace itself, but this repository or, or central location where people can go to, um, you know, to gain access to the information that they might need in order to run a more streamlined or more effective, um, organization. I, I, I like that idea. Um, and, and it, it feels like there's real opportunity there in terms of just developing that brand where, where pond just becomes this place where people, you know, log into every day to get, uh, to get access to all of these resources as well as to, um, you know, pull in, you know, people who can help them out with, with things or, or software that can help them out with things. So that's, yeah, it's a really yeah, interesting model. I think that's, that has to be the goal of any marketplace, right? I mean, you, you asked about growth and I think the, the key to growth is always going to be like, well, how engaged is your core user? Cause if you mm-hmm. can get a really engaged core user, you're providing a lot of value and they're going to be telling the audience that's like them yeah. <laughs> to be using it. And so that's a lot of my focus um, you know, particularly in our second year here, um, is how do we start providing more and demonstrating the value so that it is, there's a more ongoing relationship and engagement people have in connection to the broader community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, I'd love to do all that at once and you kind of have right. to prioritize how, how you kind of layer into those pieces, 
But uh, I completely agree. And I think it's also really helpful for the broader market that's trying to serve these organizations. Because, you know, when there's not a a well-functioning marketplace, it limits innovation. Um, I mean, think about how much innovation there has been in these other industries where we now have, I think about travel and um, the auto industry innovation and like getting car vending machines and cars delivered to your door and like all these incredible things that wouldn't have been possible if the market wasn't so accessible in the way it is now, because the market's mm-hmm. been digitized and brought online and centralized and made transparent and comparable. And um, that innovate those investments in innovation happen when the there's a clear market opportunity and so i think by and that this is just kind of my like finance economic background (laughs) talking which which is sometimes a little bit um i have to watch myself because sometimes (laughs) i uh, in trying to serve the uh, the nonprofit sector and social impact sector um i try not to overcomplicate things because and and keep it at a practical level because is at, at a more like intellectual theoretical level by creating that marketplace you're you're a, you are widening the opportunity for companies to innovate to serve a wider set of customers that they couldn't have reached before and mm-hmm. that is you know an amazing service to be providing to the space but not in the traditional sense most people think service to the space means philanthropy means giving your money away more ways to give your money away. And I, I have a bit of a contrarian view that actually the more we can think about this, like the economic force that it is, um, that there's a lot of opportunity to spur more innovation that's not just driven by heartstrings, but by a better business. Well, yeah, and that's something that that um, I talk about in my book a little bit. Is the idea that that um, you know nonprofits are businesses too, and and though they have uh, you know some different regulations and some uh, you know different focus, um, at the end of the day, um, you know they are in need of of similar services to a, a for profit business, and they need to be able to access funds and and drive cash flow and all of those things that uh, that that you know, not for-profit businesses, um, do as well. And so, um, you know, really coming at it from, and, and, you know, the, the slant that I took on it was that, uh, that marketing is something that nonprofits need to do, um, Mm -hmm. and to not be afraid of, of the idea of investing in, in this, in that space, um, because it, it allows you to do more good for the world um, as you expand your your mission. Um, yeah. But but similarly, you know, really in, f- enabling those those engagements and the, those business to business interactions is is certainly super valuable. Yeah, and just visibility. You know, when you talk about trust being the biggest barrier, if it's clear mm-hmm. someone that you trust is using a product effectively. And it's you don't just find that out through that company's marketing, which you sure. never really trust, <laughs> right? Like right. their case study is always a little suspect. But if there's a way to see, hey, there's a hundred other nonprofits just like me using this tool, and I could actually talk to them and hear how they use it and see how often they use it with all the data that Pond's gathering. Wow, mm-hmm. that starts to be really compelling. And 
you know, to your point about Pond being, you know, my goal is for Pond to be a broader success platform, right? It is like a, I, I use the term customer success, although it's, that's, that's a bit of a loaded term because vendors, like software companies use the term customer success. And it really means like someone tries to get you to spend more money on, on their right. platform. Right. Um, you're succeeding by making them more money. Um and we, I mean it more in the sense of like nonprofit success. Like how can we more holistically um, ensure that they're succeeding? And it's interesting because I, I posted a poll on LinkedIn recently that was like, how would you define a successful nonprofit? And the options I gave were like um, growth in revenue, uh, growth in their programs, um, increased efficiency or other. And I got like, 150 comments and like 20,000 views and like oh, wow. three, 300 votes in this thing. And most people said a, non- a successful nonprofit is their impact. Are they like, are they fulfilling their mission? And that's what matters. Um, right. And I'm like, I hear you. And whenever you've heard someone say like, oh yeah, that nonprofit had a great year last year. Is it, it's almost always like, yeah, their program grew by X or they mm-hmm. raised X more dollars. Like that's not actually how the general public assesses success. So there's a lot yeah. of work to be done in um, if that definition of success is uh, impact that they're having, how can we, how can we uh, put that into a platform? Like how can we make a, a platform somewhat of an accountability partner for success, um, right. setting, if, if we say the impact of their mission, cool, they need to set their own goals and stay accountable to them. And their the products and services they're utilizing, their vendors should also be accountable to those goals. Are they, um, producing successful outcomes as defined by the organization? Um, and so that's, I, I just think it's fascinating to think wh- how can you personalize what a successful outcome is? Um, and, and build technology around it to make it happen. It reminds me a lot of, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Noom or different types of like dieting apps, but successful dieting or successful fitness planning, um, it, it, there's a lot of science that goes into it. Cause, and there's a lot of similarities between what I've seen as technology adoption and usage and like diet or gym or like fitness Usage, because everyone would say when you ask them, like, hey, do you think you could better leverage technology for your organization? Like 100% of people yeah, would sure. say, like, yes, of yeah. course. And it's like, well, why don't you? And it's very similar to like, hey, do you think you could work out more? Like, could you eat more <laughs> healthfully? And people would be like, well, yeah, of course. And there's really clear things that stand in the way. Um, and I, the what works and how Noom has been so successful is making it super data-driven, incrementalizing the steps putting it in people's own terms, what their goals are and helping Mm -hmm. them set incremental steps in the process. So you, it keeps you accountable every step of the way. When you provide feedback, it tells you what other people are doing or it's that 90% of people do this. 85% of people that answer this question end up losing an extra two pounds. Those like psychological nudges keep people really engaged Mm -hmm. Um, And they make it so much more manageable. So I think there's a ton of opportunity to do that as well and how people are using technology. Um, And that just gets me excited. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, you know, there's there's so much psychology that goes into you know, pretty much pretty much everything that we that we uh, you know engage with, even if we're unaware of of the thought processes behind it. But um, but yeah, one of the things that's really interesting, and I think that. I think that that a lot of nonprofit leaders or or their teams suffer from is is biting off more than they can chew to to start, and um, and instead of you know instead of trying to set kind of realistic, like you said, incremental um, growth, they yeah. you know come at it from you know the example that I use is I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna write a blog a day or whatever. And, and it's like, well, you're not writing any right now. So why don't we, why don't we back that off and let's do one a month and see how, how well we do there. And then we can kind of move it up the uh, move up, move up from there if, uh, if yeah. need be. And if, if things are going well, um, but, in, but I think a lot of that too, co- yeah. I, I would just add that I think that a lot of that comes from, perennially short time horizons to achieve success. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're seeking funding on a year in year out basis, particularly from general donors, but also from grant makers, um, you're under this pressure to be able to say, I took this money and did X and achieved Y um, by the next year's application. Cause there's still so many of them that are year to year applications Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's a, when you don't have a longer term horizon, I mean, that's like the equivalent of the crash diet, getting back to our dieting right. example of right. like you, you know, I mean, I personally am guilty of this. So many like, okay, tomorrow, you know, I'm not having any sugar ever again and I'm never <laughs> eating something fried again and I'm going to work out for four hours a day and it, you know, like you can't even get started. And so you ditch it. Um, right. but I, I definitely see that a lot where there's like really high ambition and you set really high goals, but you don't, you haven't broken it down into pieces or you haven't incrementalized it. And we hear this from vendors a lot too, by the way, this isn't just a nonprofit issue. I hear mm-hmm. from the, the, the technology providers that we work with that they're like, a lot of times people can be sort of purchase happy, if they, especially if they actually have budget. Yeah. So they'll yeah. be like, oh, okay, cool. I found this shiny new thing. Um, and they go out and buy it and then they like might never use it. <laughs> and um, they don't, that's bad for the vendor too, because they're tracking usage and success stats. And they don't want someone that's kind of like weighing them down um, and not actually using the platform. And then by the way, they're probably going to, when people ask, well, what'd you think about, you know, platform Y? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I never use it. That doesn't sound yeah. good, right? Like it's not a yeah. customer you really want. Yeah, I would say that that's an interesting opportunity with with your platform. Is is a nonprofit has the ability to to be incentivized to have conversations with a variety of different vendors, particularly in you know in a certain class that they're looking for. So, for example, if they're looking to um, I don't know engage with a, a CRM or something like that, um, I'm assuming that would be something that would be on on Pond. Yep. Is yeah, that a good, good assumption to make? One. Okay, yeah. cool. So, you know, there are hundreds, who knows how many CRMs are out there. But one of the things that tends to happen is if we get into buyer's mode, a lot of times we just go to whatever the, the last one was that happened to email me as opposed to being able to go to a central place and, and actually have, um, you know, a concerted effort type of of plan to engage with uh with several different vendors to 
to really get to discover which one might work best um, before before purchasing, and then make a, a you know a, a higher confidence decision based upon the those conversations. And so the the platform. Um, you know, pond, it, it just enables that. That's, that's really incredible. Have you, what, what are some success stories that, that you've seen in the, in the people who've been using the system here for the last several months? Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, you mentioned CRM. That's been a really common one. Um, and people are, there's just so many options out there that people are pretty delighted to find, um, you know, some more specific tools that we have or smaller companies um, that maybe not be Salesforce or BlackBot, which are two of the main mm-hmm. um, biggest providers to space, but actually are, are really good or affordable or convenient fit for them. So we've seen that use case happen a, a lot. Um, and like I mentioned, that's also led to over 50% savings for people. So people have been, have been really excited about that. I mean, other things that people are finding um, and engaging with are, because, you know, where I started, uh, just for some added context, when I started Pond back, all the way back at the beginning of the pandemic, um, which feels like a few lifetimes ago, um, I started off in more of a listening tour. And one of the questions I asked every nonprofit leader I spoke with was, can you name, can you just share with me however many uh, pieces of technology or tools specific for nonprofits that you know of? And the most engaged, most tech savvy person uh, that I would speak with, Max, they would know four. Okay. And there's and we aggregated like 350 solutions or something. So right. there's this really big awareness gap. So that's been a big thing people respond to is like, I just had no idea these things existed. I found this really cool way that um, you can that you can manage your, your grants and your grant management and discover new grant opportunities all through this one platform. And it was actually really affordable. And I got money off through pond. Like that's been happened multiple times. We've had, um, we have vendors who help with like TikTok Gen Z marketing strategies, <laughs> right? Big focus for people. And so just seeing that kind of delight from folks. I mean, we, we have these Slack channels built up. So every time a, a request is accepted or they review it afterwards, just seeing how like happy people are at these interactions um, right. has it just warms my heart because I also just think about how nice that is also for the salesperson like the this the sales job anyone who's listening to this that's held any role in sales knows how painful <laughs> the job can be and yeah. I, I I just love how this helps connect people connect you to the, you're not the, like the enemy, right? It's, you're just trying to connect you to the right audience and to someone that you're helpful to and sort of take some of the, the stigma out of that. And so it's really nice to see how it humanizes those interactions. It makes people feel appreciative. They're getting rewarded for their time spent in a way they don't normally do. So we just get really, really positive feedback on, on all those things. It's it's great. I just, I I really like the idea of, of, uh, of the model and, and how you're facilitating these conversations and enabling people to actually, you know, take a, a bit of a more educated approach to, um, to purchase decisions, um, where, you know, for example, if, if somebody's out looking for podcast solutions, instead of just, 
you know, Googling podcast solutions and, and, um, and picking the first one, you, you could go to this marketplace and be able to, mm-hmm. to kind of either choose from, or at least put out an ask for, um, for a variety of different people to, uh, participate in, in that process. And, uh, it just, it's, it's a really, it's, a, it's, I like how it flips the narrative a little bit, but it it's also just feels just more efficient for everybody involved. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, it's one of those when I, I've talked to a number of people about, um, in the startup world and evaluating new companies or new ideas is to think like, do I like the world where this is a massive success? Like, is that a good outcome for right. the world to think a few years in advance? And I just think even beyond the nonprofit world, but you know, small businesses are very similar to most nonprofits. Um, mm-hmm. And the world in which to your point, podcast equipment or anything, wouldn't you so much rather be able to put an ask out there and kind of personally benefit from that, from your own intent, your own data, instead of just Google and LinkedIn and Facebook or whoever else monetizes right. that today. Right. Um, and that's where I think there's a, a really cool opportunity to, to let people tap into that um, and utilize the value created from that uh, to bring more information centrally and, and really help people make more efficient and more successful decisions because there's been this massive proliferation of technology solutions, particularly in like the business kind of B2B landscape um, in the last 10 to 20 years. And that's not going to slow down. You know, there's going to be more and more niche solutions that help with like more specific pieces of your workflow or process. Mm -hmm. That's going to make it harder and harder to navigate. And the more that we can empower people to manage that and not be a software expert. I think there's right. so much applicability. Um, and I think that the proliferation of the solopreneur, right. Or all these independent or small businesses or people being able to um, kind of operate independently. Those are all trends that will keep moving in that, you know, the same direction sure. and growing. And I, I just see added applicability to how this puts more power in their hands and really, democratizes that system. So I'm excited. Yeah. Well, and it also just gives people this, this central repository and we may have touched on this a little bit, a little bit ago, but you know, just the idea that if you go to pond and you have a good experience, you know, searching for some, you know, technology that, that perhaps you actually know about, uh, you know, mm-hmm. let's take the CRM example, you know, most people or many, many people have heard about a CRM, um, you know, a customer relations management tool and how important it can be for, um, helping you stay in touch with, um, all of your stakeholders. So those people interested in your, in your nonprofit, those people who have perhaps engaged as a volunteer or maybe a one-time donor, um, you know, a, a multiple time donor or, um, or some other kind of relationship and enabling you to, um, to sort that out. Um, and, and so, you know, being able to go and effectively do a search on Google or wherever to, to start to figure out which of the tools that are out there and available you might want to use is great. But being able to go to a, like this central repository of information that is, a, is essentially a group of like-minded individuals or at least people who have this purpose focus in mind um, 
you know, that I think narrows the playing field quite a bit. And then once you've had that experience and you've, and you've been able to, to find a tool or a, or a vendor that, that provides a, a positive solution for you, um, then being able to just go back to that place, to that same, um, you know, central location where you know that, that, uh, everyone there is is going to have your your best interest in mind um mm. you know that to me is is a, a really powerful component of of pond that uh that i'm i'm super excited to hear how uh you know how that evolves over the years um yeah have you is i'm, I'm assuming that that's kind of part of that end goal is to is to just take that piece of where do i go to even find information and then and then be able to, to access, you know, like you said, there's like grant program software that mm -hmm. people may not have even known existed, but if they go to pond, they'll be able to, to discover these things. Yeah. That's the goal is to really encompass, um, you know, the broader range of tools and services that is powering an organization. Um, and I think with that, to your example of like, once you make a specific purchase, um, you know, and you invest in a new CRM for your example, you're unlikely to jump back into the market for a new CRM a month later, hopefully, <laughs> you know, right, hopefully you're with right. that program for a long time. And so I think it's important for us to yes, be there for the next thing that you need. That's going to be likely in a different category. And also how can we support you and engage on an ongoing basis so that we're top of mind the time like when it comes in the future and you don't forget about this resource but also like for you to be building up benefits and like adding credits right. to your account on an ongoing basis and that's that's a big focus of ours to build opportunities for people to be earning and spending those funds and just engaging with the community and it's a really unique thing that we have at our disposal kind of a tool in our toolkit to incentivize the things that will make our platform and community stronger by rewarding the behavior. Like we have a currency to reward for responding to our survey or joining this right. session or, um, and just proving to people that we really value their time and their engagement and we want to reward them for it. And other people, most of the time they don't get that in any right. other, you know, their most of their, most of their, uh, engagements. Right. And I, it's just, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's a, it's really cool. What um what do you think, you know, having worked in in the tech space and in the nonprofit space, what what do you think that the you know the top tools are that that nonprofits should be looking for or or maybe even better based upon the data that you've that you've pulled from um from usage at Pond, what are the things that people are are most interested in? Um in terms of, of vendor engagement? Yeah, I would say the number three, top three categories, um, which probably aren't too surprising that we see are fundraising, marketing, and then just like managing remote work and remote teams. Um, and so I, I say unsurprising because in my mind, these are fields, um, whether you're just, whether you're an administrator, a marketer, or a fundraiser, maybe you weren't a tech person before you started doing that job for a nonprofit. But now today, 21 months into the pandemic, it is absolutely required that you are um, at least competent in using technology and, and 
um, for any of those job functions. And so Mm -hmm. I think it it makes sense in my mind that that's where people are seeking new things, seeking help, wanting answers. Um, And those are obviously all kind of broad topics, but, you know, on the fundraising front, um, virtual hybrid events are still really a key topic of people still wondering like, okay, are we still just doing it on zoom? Is there a a premium thing we need to do? Like, um, there, there's now like zoom apps you can use for fundraising Mm -hmm. direct in the platform. Um, there's been tons at once the pandemic hit, every one of these fundraising platforms started investing in how to supplement events virtually and in a hybrid setting. So there's been a lot of innovation there that people have been digging into, um, better integrations across social fundraising, um, has been huge. The activity there is only growing from a fundraising perspective. Um, and on platforms like TikTok or Twitch, um, you know, and I think that's, that's intimidating for nonprofits because it's like the remit of places you could be fundraising or could be using these different digital platforms is becoming so big it is, yeah. it's hard to feel like you're staying on top of all of them. So, I mean, a little bit of practical advice, if there's anyone in, in the audience from the nonprofit space, you know, it's managing these things is I think be realistic with your bandwidth. You know, it's, you'll, you'll be better served to be completely on top of two or three channels that you're investing in and doing a really good job in than trying to do a little bit of everything. Um, and I think that's just like generally a good good uh, practice when it comes to technology. It's easy to get excited about 25 different things and want to be on top of all of them. But if you don't have a really disciplined um, process and team with the bandwidth to manage it all, it's going to backfire. Yeah, um, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I think that that's, that's one of the biggest challenges that, that people experience is they want to play in – they want to play everywhere or be – be viable everywhere, but it's just, unless you have the right team, it's virtually impossible to do that as well as, you know, asking the question, is that where your audience is? Mm -hmm. Or is, you know, is that, is that where, um, is that where there's audience you want or that you could be adding? Um, I think that's really smart. Uh, very smart question. And, you know, the, the other thing I'd bring up to that end of like, what do you have the bandwidth for? I'm getting lots of questions and interest around um, cryptocurrencies and mm-hmm. and NFTs. And you, you hear stories about an organization that got like a $10 million crypto gift. And so yeah. now there's everyone's, do I, what do I need to do? <laughs> and I think that's um, another good example where it's like, well, understand your audience. Um, you know, is this something, start asking. You know, I think that's that's often something people forget when it comes to donor engagement or just your audience engagement in general. It's like the people that are engaged and care about what you're doing are like willing to provide feedback. So I think a good first mm-hmm. step there is to just actually ask some donors or people that you have relationships with, like, do you have cryptocurrency? Are you interested in donating it um, before you invest a ton of time, energy, money in setting yeah. the organization up for those donations. Yeah. It's an interesting concept of like minimum viable audience versus minimum viable product. And a lot of times, I mean, I've seen, and I don't, I, I mean, I've seen probably millions of dollars invested in software 
and tech before the problem was, you know, before an audience was actually established or understood for whatever problem that tech was about to solve or was trying to solve. And, um, and, and yeah, you, I mean, you said it really well, like make sure that, that you're solving for an actual problem that, uh, that people are interested in, in having solved, um, before you I mean, go out have, and, and build everything. We have this, have to remind ourselves of that lesson all the time as a startup for sure. Um, of like circling, like, hold on, zoom out a second. What's the problem we're solving? Is there a non-tech solution to verify it or work to be done before you're custom building something? Um, right. and just always holding that like technical build, the engineer's time. Um, we kind of joke about it being like the press Kiara and Matt are, our developers. Um, on the team. And we, we always kind of joke about, well, we don't want to use their precious time, which might sound a little dismissive, but we really mean, no, let's be really, really vigilant about whenever we want to build something to be crystal clear, the problem we're solving that it's validated and that this is the minimum lift thing to do to move us closer. Um, right. which I think is, is a practice you can take into any discipline. Yeah, I agree. It's, um, it's just so important to have a good understanding of, of what, what the needs are before you go out and try and solve for those needs. And, and, um, and it's a challenge because we all, you know, we all come up with an idea and, and want to, want to run with it, but just taking that beat is, uh, is super, super helpful sometimes to, to just make sure that, that you're providing the product or service or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing to the audience that it's the, it's the thing that they need. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a lesson, honestly, that I've learned well from a lot of the nonprofits we serve. I actually, we have a, a nonprofit we've worked with a bunch and uh, interviewed their founder on our podcast, uh, but her name's Adina Lichtman. She started a nonprofit called Knock Knock Give a Sock. And um, her, they, their origin story was that she was in college and she used to make sandwiches and bring some extra food to um, she refers to as her neighbors on the street, but homeless mm -hmm. folks uh, around the campus and really was on this mission to try to humanize homelessness. Um, mm -hmm. And someone turned to her and was like, you know, I actually have plenty of food, but we don't have any socks. Right. <laughs> it's like this amazing seminal moment for her <laughs> to be like, oh, we always try to like, when are we inflicting help? versus right. uh, verse to make us feel good versus actually solving the problem. And I think that is a something nonprofit organizations have to reevaluate all the time because you can definitely get stuck in the mode of doing what we've always done or, um, you know, assuming you're providing the solution to a problem as you perceive it, but you need to be checking in really regularly with your audience. And I think that translates to any kind of product development or market build as um, in the same way people develop their programs um, at a nonprofit. Yeah. I, I think you're spot on there for sure. Well, Mitch, I can't believe it's been an, an hour. I've had such a great time chatting with you this afternoon and um, how can people find out more about pond? What's the best way to get in touch with you guys? Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, anyone that wants to chat, I'm, a, I'm an open book and I love connecting. So email me at Mitch uh, at joinpond.com. Um, excited to hear from folks, but also our website like is joinpond.com. There's tons of info there. 
Um, you can also find our podcast there, The Kids Table, uh, presented by Pond, um, where we interview nonprofit leaders um, in different cities around the country. Um, and then uh, on, I'm super active on LinkedIn. So please feel free to follow or connect there um, and also follow Pond there. That's where we, we're most engaged. Um, and I, I share just about as much as anyone should on LinkedIn. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Good for you. Very open. So that is awesome. I think that transparency and, and willingness to share the challenges that we're all facing is, is what's going to make things even better for everybody, everybody who's trying to, to do some good things in the world. So, yeah, no, it's how I feel like, um, you know, I'm not waiting for my success to start talking about what I'm doing. Like, I think a lot of people awesome. don't want to share because they're like, well, I'm not the expert yet. I'm like, well, as long as you don't claim to be the expert, it's okay to be <laughs> sharing what you're going through. Because So often it makes things seem so unattainable when you only ever hear about it from mm-hmm. the crazy successful founder after the fact does their like retrospective interview about right. the challenges they face. They're like, well, yeah, but at the end of the day, you founded Airbnb. So does anyone really feel that bad about your challenges? <laughs> well, right. Um, and they don't tend to talk about the f- 17 companies that they founded before that that didn't make it. Yes, there's very yeah. rose-colored glasses after the fact. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm honest, open, and, and I love engaging with people there. Well, I really appreciate that, Mitch. So in, in terms of talking about things, which I'd love to do, and I've had a really fun time chatting with you today, what I really want to do is help spawn action and help people get something that they can actually do at the end of our, our discussions. So if you had one thing that you asked the listeners of today's show to do, what would that be? Yeah. I mean, if you, I would say if you work at a nonprofit, like Join Pond, it's completely free and you earn funds as you engage and, and learn and we're here to be helpful in any way we can. Um, and if not, um, make sure you share it with someone that works at a nonprofit. I think, you know, to your point, it's all about getting this in front of this resource to people um, and building it to be something better for the whole sector. So appreciate uh, the help from everyone. Yeah, well, I love what you're doing. I'm definitely going to be sharing more about Pond, not only here on the show, but uh, but elsewhere. And um, look forward to chatting with you again. Let's stay in touch. Thanks so much, Stu. Thanks, Mitch. Bye. See ya. And there you have it. Another great episode of Relish This. Thanks again for listening. You can find past episodes of the show at relishthis.org. And remember, if you liked what you heard today, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information on purpose marketing, grab your free copy of my book, Mission Uncomfortable, How Nonprofits Can Embrace Purpose-Driven Marketing to Survive and Thrive. Get your copy now at missionuncomfortablebook.com. Thanks again for listening. Come back next week, won't you?